0: Church. It's great to have you with us. And uh, this morning we are continuing, uh, we began a new series last Sunday <clears throat> entitled Facing Your Fears. And in our society, in our world today, there's a lot of things to be afraid of. Uh, every time we read the papers, we read something else to be afraid of, whether it's Ebola or ISIS or any number of things that we face day after day. Today we're talking about something that will affect all of us, and we've, uh, I've selected this particular topic because it's the day that we're celebrating uh, Pastor Brian's ministry with us, and the fear that we're looking at today is the fear of facing your children's futures. Now, uh, how many of you um, are parents, okay? And how many of you one day hope to be parents, okay? <laughs> Three of you, okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I understand that. Um, the question that Irma Bombek ba- um, asks is Why? Uh, Why would we want to become parents? Um, In one of her books, she talks about the frustration she has with her children. She remembered how she got her children, she just didn't remember why. She decided that maybe they were a 4-H project that got out of hand. I'm sure some of us feel that way as well. Bill Cosby, in his classic book on fatherhood, agrees with Bombeck. He says, having a child is surely the most beautifully irrational act That two people in love can commit. Later he writes I don't care how bright people are, I have yet to receive a sound reason that would move a man to go find a mate and say, let's have one of these. (laughs) Parenting is hard work, it is beautifully irrational hard work. And this morning, when polled, parents are asked by George Barna, parents are asked, what is your greatest fear? Parents always say the same thing, my fear is of my children's future. What will they face? What difficulties and problems will arise for them? What is our world going to be like? Are we going to be nuked? Are we going to be destroyed? Is there going to be a a warfare of, of, of germs and all kinds of infections in our world? What are our children going to face? This last week, uh, I received uh, two emails from former uh, youth, uh, youth group members. Now, when I say former, I mean former. Uh, I was a youth pastor uh, from 1992 to 1994 in San Diego, and we had a large youth group at that church. Uh, we, had, we had 100 high school kids, and um, what these kids have done, now they're not kids, they're grandparents, most of them. Uh, what these people have done, though, on Facebook, I'm not on Facebook, I, my wife says I'm on Spacebook, but uh, on Facebook they have created a group and 60 of those former high school youth group students are on Facebook in a group. And they talk about the old days back at Mount McGill and all of those kinds of things. But, so that's kind of fascinating that they're all in touch with each other. Here it is uh, 40-some years later. So um, I got two emails last week. One was from Arlene. Arlene uh, uh, told me in her email how much those years meant to her. And uh, Pastor Brian knows when he gets these kinds of emails or phone calls or texts how important they are uh, to uh, keep you going. Uh, She said, you know, my life is great. I'm a grandmother now. My children love and serve the Lord. My grandkids are being growing up in Christian homes. You know, I love my husband of 30-some years. You know, it's just really great. Arlene Hudson, you remember her. And so you have that email. You say, that, you know, thank the Lord I was able to be a part in that. And then I had another email. And that other email was from a young man that was in our group. He wasn't from a Christian home, from a very rugged home, in fact. Back in the early 70s, there was a lot, just like today, a lot of drug abuse and problems and things like that. Mike was raised in that kind of an atmosphere. And I remember the night on a Wednesday night when he gave his heart to Christ. It was so real and genuine, but, boy, he had a hard struggle. Well, I just got an email from another member of that old youth group that last week Mike Mifflin was arrested on charge of murder in California. And I think to myself, first of all, I was just devastated by that, but I think of, I think, all these kids that I had in youth group, all these kids that um, I was able to share the love of Jesus with, um, no matter how much we put in them, right, Pastor Brian, no matter how much you do, they still have a choice. Kids still have a choice. They have a free will. And, but, I, but I remember that, that, that man, the, the parents of those kids when they were younger had so much hope and so much promise. But how things change. I think that's every parent's fear is that somehow our kid will take a wrong turn, make a wrong decision, a life-altering decision, will go in a direction that will literally ruin their life. We have to look at parenthood as something that's both wonderful and challenging, and we all do. Now we're no longer, I mean we're always parents, but now we're grandparents. And I think Bruce Heimke's told me after the first service, he said, remind them that uh, being a grandparent is a reward for not having killed your kids. So that's, that's a good word. And, uh, but, but there's something about being a parent, a grandparent. How can we help our kids go on the right path? Now, we have it around our church. We have baby dedications. In fact, we were supposed to have one in the first service, uh, but that baby, unfortunately, is in, in the hospital. It's a new family. Most of you wouldn't know them. And uh, we have these dedications, but when we have these dedications, we, we really take it seriously. We, we take this baby, and we've done this, I, I added up, we've, we've had over 130 baby dedications in the 14 years I've been your pastor. Can you imagine? That's incredible. And so we hold these babies up, and we say, behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called what? The children of God. And so we are. So we have these wonderful things. We have all kinds of children on this side. Our youth meet on this side. And we recognize that as a church, our commitment is to help these kids not only understand how much Jesus loves them, but to help them stay on the path. So here's the, I'm gonna give you the sermon sentence right now, and then I'm gonna spend the rest of our time just kind of giving you some scriptural truth. This Here's the message I wanna give to every parent every grandparent, every godparent, every aunt, every uncle, every one of you that has anything to do with kids, and that's all of you. Here's the word I want to give to you. It's this. We need to realize that there is a war going on for the souls of our children. Our culture, influenced by the great deceiver, wants the minds and the hearts of our children. Let me share that with you again. Parents, grandparents, we need to realize that there is a war going on for the souls of our children. Our culture, influenced by the great deceiver, wants the minds and the hearts of our children. Now, there's a biblical precedent for this in the Old Testament. Those of you who have been around the church and the Bible and church uh, a good part of your life know the story of Moses. Uh, Moses was the great deliverer. Uh, God tapped him on the shoulder, and after 40 years in the wilderness, God said, I want you to go and deliver my people, the Israelites, the children of God, deliver them from Egypt. They had been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. I want you to go and deliver my children, the children of God, from Egypt into a promised land. Moses says, I don't know how to do that, I've been in the wilderness for 40 years just living with goats. I don't know what to do. God says, I'll give you what you need. In fact, God says, the the only thing you need to remember, Moses, is this, what my name is. Every time you pray, you remember my name, right? My name, Jehovah, means I am that I am. Literally, that means I am with you. (laughs) Moses, my very name is I am with you. Okay, so remember that. So Moses says, okay, I'll go off with his brother Aaron. He goes off and he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, I've got some good news and some bad news. Uh, The the good news is um, um, you're a great Pharaoh. (laughs) The bad news is I want to take a million of your slaves and take them to the promised land. How does that feel? Pharaoh said, are you kidding me? I mean, how do you think I built the pyramids, right? I mean, I need these million... Jews, to do my work for free, and no, I'm not going to let them go, but God says you're supposed to let them go. I'm not going to let them go. I don't believe in your God. I don't believe in your Jehovah. Forget it. I'm not going to happen. Moses says if you don't do it, God's going to get mad, and when he gets mad, he said there's going to be ten plagues that are going to fall upon the people of Egypt, and Pharaoh basically said bring it on. No problem. Bring it on. I can handle that because I don't believe in your God. Well, the plagues start going on, and every time there's a plague... Moses goes back to Pharaoh, says, Pharaoh, what do you think? Are you ready to let my people go? And he says, no, 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 no. He's stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. And and then after the, 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 the plague of locusts, right, that'll get your attention, finally he's ready to remit. And here Moses comes to him and said, Pharaoh, now will you let my people go? And here's what happened in that conversation. You find it in Exodus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. This is what happened. So Moses and Aaron brought back to Pharaoh, were brought back to Pharaoh. All right, Pharaoh said. Basically he said, I give up. All right, he told them. Go and worship the Lord your God. But who exactly will be going with you? Moses replied, Well, we'll all go, right? Young and old, our sons and daughters, our flocks and our herds. We must all join together in celebrating a festival of the Lord. Pharaoh retorted, the Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plans. He said, never. Only the the men may go and worship the Lord since that is what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. So let me tell you what happened in that. Now, That happened, that was, we know historically that there was truly a Moses, there was truly uh, an exodus from Israel, all of that is historically verified. Uh, So that all happened, but there's something else going there. This is kind of a spiritual picture or a type of what happens to us today. The children of Israel in bondage to Egypt are like men and women, human beings today, in bondage to our sin. OK, we can't get away from it. we can't move away from it. And God says, "I promise you a deliverer, Jesus Christ, will deliver you from your sin, and then you can go to a promised land that's called heaven." So that's kind of the analogy of what was happening there. So Pharaoh was like, well, it's like Satan wanting to hold on, and Moses was like the deliverer, and the children of Israel were like you and me. And over and over again God said, "Let my people go, let my people go." And Pharaoh says, "No, no." And finally here's what Pharaoh says in this, and this is what's so powerful for us today. Pharaoh looks at Moses. And he says, you can go, take your men. You can go and worship. I've already lost you. You guys are already kind of goofy and, and you're wanting to get out of here and all like that. But here's what Pharaoh said. He said, but you're not gonna take the children. Pharaoh said, those children are mine. And the enemy says that today, all over us. Those children, those children that are over there, right there, the youth that meet over there, the children that are in here, those children belong to me. Satan says. Three chapters later, God the Father says this to Satan. No way. Those children belong to me. Those children belong to me. They are mine. That is the testimony of Hope Covenant Church. We have young, I saw several of them. I didn't get to see them all. I hope to see them all after the service. We have a lot of young people that grew up in Pollard's uh, youth group that come back to visit us today. And here, here's, the, here's, here's what I want to tell them. I want to tell all of you. It's this. There was a time when God put his mark on you. Alpine Camp, Wednesday night youth group, Sunday morning. There was a time when God put his mark on you and you said yes to Jesus. Now some of you may be serving the Lord faithfully in different ways, but some of you I know are not. But here's the good news. God says to each and every one of you, you belong to me. I'm not gonna let you go. No matter how far you wander away, I'm not going to let you go. You belong to me. I put my mark on you when you gave your heart to Jesus, and I'm not going to let you go. That's the challenge that we have as parents today. That's the challenge that we have as grandparents today, to make sure our kids know that they have been marked for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They belong to Jesus, and he promises, I will never, ever, ever let you go. So, how do we partner with God to make sure that that happens? How do we partner with the Holy Spirit to make sure that these kids that come through our children's ministry and our youth ministry are never, ever walk away from Jesus? How do we do that? Well, let me just share with you four real simple steps that can help us do that. The first step is this get help. <laughs> get help. We need help. That's why we do the baby dedications, the baby baptisms, the baptisms that we, I, I, the pictures out on the table in the outside, make sure you look at all those. Those are pictures of Alpine uh, BP. They're pictures of kids being baptized. There are, uh, all of those things, all of those are a reminder that every parent needs help and the church is here to help the church is here to help. We are an oasis of truth. We're not everything, but we do have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been called by God to proclaim that good news of Jesus to each and every one of you, to each and every person who walks through these doors. We need to get help. Now, how do we get that help? Here's a great passage in Psalm 127. Listen to these words. The psalmist said, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. We need help. The Lord said, listen, your house is the place where I want to dwell. We always say that the church is where God dwells, and that's true, but it's your homes is where God wants to dwell. God says, I want to build your house from the inside out. I want to be the Lord of your house. I don't want to be just something you talk about on Sunday mornings on your way to church. I don't want to just be talking about something else. I want to be the very center, the very control center of your Any success in raising a healthy family depends upon God's participation. I must put God at the center of my home. Howard Hendricks writes, you will never pull off the assignment as a parent without the Lord. You will never succeed even though you redouble your efforts by getting up earlier and staying up later. Parents, we need to chill out around this parenting thing. We are not the chief architect and builder of our homes. God is. He can't work. We can't work hard enough to make our families succeed. This paranoia, panic-stricken, hyperparent syndrome is not good. Here's the message of the Bible: God is God, and you are not. <laughs> You are not God of your home. You are not God of your life. You let God be God. Surrender our lives, our homes, our children to the Father who loves them. See, the antidote to panicking, panicky parenting is simply surrendering to God. There's no perfect parents. Uh, Adam and Eve were the only ones that ever had a perfect parent. That was God. God and they still sinned. (laughs) So let me just take a a moment and just kind of do a side note here. I want to declare this area, all of here. there's a couple hundred of you here in this room, I want to declare this area all in here a guilt-free zone, okay? No guilt is allowed because some of you parents already are going to that ugly place, (laughs) that dark place, Oh, no, i failed my children. I haven't been as spiritual. We haven't made God the center. Okay, my point in all of this is to give you something to accede to, not something to feel guilty about. So all of us are imperfect. All of us have made mistakes as parents and grandparents. All of us have failed. Here's the good news. We can start all over again. Even if our kids are 40 years old like our kids, we can start all over again and we can love them in new ways. We can love our chil- grandchildren. So no guilt in here, Okay. This is only about what can I do starting today to make my life, my children, my grandchildren, followers of Jesus Christ, okay? That's why we're here. So step number one, we need help. So here's two questions I wanna ask you parents and grandparents. Question number one is this. How close is your life and your heart to Jesus? What steps every day are you saying, I'm going to take in order to be more in love with Jesus? and more in love with his church. What am I doing every day? See, if you become the right person, if you become the right child of God, if you become the right Christ follower, then guess what? All these other things kind of fall into place. But too many people are trying to build a godly house without God in them. We need to ask our question, what can I do to take a step closer to Jesus? The second question we need to ask is this, are you turning to God's word for divine help and guidance? Are you turning to the book, to God's word for divine help and guidance? I mean, come on. Dr. Phil, Oprah, Nostradamus, these people know nothing. You know, when it talks about a Christian family, we need God's guidance and help. We need to make God the center of our home. So step number one, get help. Step number two, know your purpose. Know your purpose. The second part of Psalm 127 says this. Children are a gift from the Lord. Babies, a reward. Children who are born to, young ma- to a young man are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So the Bible describes children in three ways. They are a gift, a reward, and arrows. Let's kind of look at that for a moment. Gift. The idea here is that children do not belong to you. Children do not belong to you. They belong to God. They're only on loan to you for the 10, 15, 20 years that you have them, that you have influence in their lives. Children are on loan from them. They're a gift from God. They belong to God, and we get to, tra- we get to raise them up. Now, some of you say, Yeah, I know they're a gift from God. I'd like to give that gift back. Well, you can't do that. Okay, you've got to hang in there, right? So you can do that. So they're a gift. They're also a reward. It doesn't say curse, doesn't say accident, doesn't say mistake. There's no such thing as an unwanted pregnancy in God's book. If God blesses you with a child, he has honored you. If you are childless, it doesn't mean God is punishing you. It simply means that he has a different plan for your life, either temporarily or permanently. And children are arrows. The word picture here is of a warrior drawing back his arrow and his bow and aiming at a very specific target. He takes aim and releases the arrow in the direction of the target. Now, what's the point? Pun intended. Okay, I'll do that again. What's the point? Okay. Uh, As we, we as parents need to have a purpose, a goal, a target in mind as we raise our kids. What are we aiming them towards? Okay, what are we instructing them towards? What are we designing for their lives to go? Now, they're going to make their own choices. All kids have free will, just like we do, and they're all going to make their choices. But as children and as teenagers, what can we do to aim them, point them? In what direction are we supposed to point them? Now, you say, well, I just want to give my kids the best of everything. Oh, please. Don't do that. We already have kids all over the world that are entitled. The worst thing you can do is give them everything they want, okay? So let's just not do that at all. Or I want to give my, I want to help my kid get through school and get a good job. Okay, that's a good, that's a good thing. In my mind, that's a subplot, but that's a good thing, okay? Um, I want to make my kid happy. Right, you know, yeah. just talk to a 13-year-old, how happy are they? Uh, how about this one? I want to I make my kid miserable. Now, that's more like it, okay? That's kind of a goal that we have. But, but he, what is God's purpose if these things aren't God's purpose? After God created Adam and Eve in his own image, he pronounced them very good. Then he commanded them to make additional reproductions of his image by having children. That's procreation. So we're supposed to make additional image bearers of God by having children God wants this world to be filled with people who have his mark on their lives who represent him well wherever they go to be image bearers of Jesus Christ The goal is not to make your kids so that they make a lot of money or that they really uh, have these great vacations or anything else. The goal of every child, as you draw that arrow back, is to point and say, I want my child to be an image bearer of Jesus Christ. Everything else is seconds. Everything else is below that. Because when eternity starts and when your life is over, there's only going to be one thing left. It's what have you pointed, what direction have you pointed your life? We want to create image bearers of Jesus Christ, and we do that by making Jesus the Lord of our homes as well as the Lord of our lives. We have friends um, that live in Oregon, uh, Tom and Elaine Perks. They were in our church back, that first church I served uh, at Mount McGill in San Diego back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. They were in our church, they had two teenagers uh, when they came to us, and so I had both of those kids in confirmation, Timmy and Mary Lynn. Now, it's hard to say this out loud, but those kids now are in their late 40s, <laughs> and uh, they're not kids anymore. But here's the deal. Uh, Mary Lynn, she married a guy, and they have how many, four kids or something, and they have a wonderful family. They love the Lord. They serve the Lord. Christ is the center of the house. But their other son, Timmy, who I had in confirmation, great kid, very smart kid, Timmy now is one of the top executives for a little company we like to call Nike. Uh, He makes seven figures a year. He has everything he could possibly want. He's told his mom and dad, you know, when you guys are old and drooling, we'll still take care of you. You know, we got lots of money and stuff. Lots of money for his kids. All kinds of popularity. Flies over the world. He is responsible for building Nike stores everywhere in the world except the United States. (laughs) His territory is everywhere else except the United States. And so he has everything. But here's what his mom says to Sherry. I would trade all of that popularity and all of that great job and all of that money that my sons have if he would just come back to Jesus. Because you know what? All of that stuff is not gonna do him any good. If only my son would come back to his faith in Jesus Christ. See, we have to have one target and one target alone, and that is to make image bearers of our children So that they bear the mark of Jesus on their lives. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read some verses. this is after the Exodus, they got to the promised land. Things are settling down for the Israelites, and, uh, and God said, okay, now I need to give you some instruction for your children, because, you know, we've been out in the wilderness for 40 years, we're going to settle down now. Here's what I want you to know about your children. And so you read this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Your, you, your children, and your grandchildren, okay, must respect the Lord, your God, as long as you live. Obey His rules and commands I give you so that you will live a long time. There's a promise there. Then all will go well for you, another promise, and you will become a great nation in a fertile land. So that's a wonderful promise, a a beautiful promise, but let's don't forget there was a condition to that promise. The condition was verses 5 through 7, and it's speaking to the parents, the grandparents, the godparents, the aunts and uncles. Here's what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Always remember these commands I give you today. Teach them to your children and talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Nowhere does the Bible say that the key to raising a family is putting a Christian sticker on your bumper or a a front doormat that says, God lives here. It's about living the life of Jesus in your home, having that target for your children where they know that they have a purpose in life to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible here says two things for us, parents and grandparents. Number one, moms and dads must love God without reservation, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And moms and dads must pass on that love for God at home to their children. And so I've told you this before, I try to tell you this once a year. Make sure that you teach your children how to do math, okay? If you want them to succeed in life, teach them how to do math. Make sure you teach them how to brush their teeth. Nobody wants somebody who doesn't have teeth anymore. Teach them how to play soccer or a real sport, you know, like football. (laughs) Teach them how to play baseball. Teach them how to be respectful to adults teach them how to clean up their rooms, teach them how to do the right things, teach them all these things, teach them all those things, those are all good things. But listen, please hear this from the bottom of my heart with everything I have in me. You've got to teach them about Jesus. It drives me nuts to hear a parent say, well, my kid, when they get old enough, they'll decide whether they want to know God or not. Are you kidding me? You spend time teaching them how to brush their teeth and you don't teach them about Jesus? Are you kidding me? It's the most important thing we could ever do. Do all of those things and do them with clarity, with beauty, and with skill. But you teach your kids about Jesus. Nothing will ever replace that. There's one last step, and this last step is for all of us, and it's this. Never give up. (laughs) Wear knee pads. Get on your knees, and you pray for your kids. We have, um, um, this, at the first service today, we were supposed to dedicate uh, a baby. Next Sunday, we're dedicating uh, Anthony and Rachel's baby, little Nora. Uh, I look back over my nose. Over the 14 years I've been your pastor, we've done over 130 dedications, 130 babies, where we lift them up. We, we take this seriously as a church that we say there is so much potential, there's so much beauty in this little child. All of us realize that someday they're going to be 13, okay, and it's going to look completely different. But right now, this looks so perfect. What God wants you to know today is that you should never, ever give up. When you feel like you failed, ask forgiveness and start over. When you feel like your kid is far away, doesn't want anything to do with you, say, they say they hate you. When you feel, all, you continue to love them and grace them, and you continue to teach them about Jesus. You do everything in your power, but you never, ever, ever give up. I want to give you just a word of encouragement as we close this morning. You're not in this battle alone. The Bible says in 1 John 14 that greater is he who is in me, speaking of God, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. What that verse says is that the power of Jesus in my life is a Christ follower is infinitely stronger and more powerful than any evil influence in your life or your kid's life. You're not alone. God is with you. God says, I want you to put my mark on your children, on your grandchildren. I don't care if they're 35 years old. You pray every day, Lord, I pray. I remember when that, child, when that boy was six years old and he prayed to receive Christ at Sunday school and I'm praying that that mark is still on his life and that one day he will come to know Christ once again. Never, ever, ever give up. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, it's so easy to give up. We lose track of our kids when they grow up. We don't know what they're doing. We get afraid. We but Father, you have given us amazing promise in your word. And that is that when you put your mark on someone, on a child, on a teenager, that that mark stays. And so this morning, Lord, I just want to give us an opportunity just for a moment that if there are those here in our congregation today who would say, you know, Pastor Dwayne, I, I haven't really thought about much about God for a long time, but I remember that time at Alpine <laughs> when I gave my heart to Jesus. I remember that time at youth group or Sunday school when I prayed and said yes to God. And today, Lord, I want to welcome you back into my heart and I want to welcome you back into my life. The Bible says to parents, no greater joy can a man have than this, than to hear that his children follow the truth. Every one of us in here, if our parents are still living, have parents that are praying for us. And may we make this day a day where we reconnect our hearts and our lives with Jesus. For we ask these things in his name. And all of God's people together said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. We're going to uh, receive our morning tithes and offerings now. Our ushers will come forward. I just want to say a word. Those of you who are not regular part of our church family, uh, you can come to church for free as long as you want to. As soon as this is your church family, uh, we ask you to give generously and sacrificially to the work of the Kingdom and Hope Covenant Church.
1: and struggles on the way but with joy our hearts can say yes our hearts can say never once did we ever walk alone and never once did you leave us on our own if you are faithful Oh God, you are faithful And kneeling on this battleground Seeing just how much you've done Knowing every victory was your power in us Scars and struggles on the way But with joy our hearts can say Yes, our hearts can sing. Never once did we. and struggles on the way but with joy our hearts can say and never once did we ever walk alone carried by your constant grace and held within your perfect peace and never once no we never walked alone. Never walk alone Never once did you leave us on our own on the way but with joy our hearts can say yes our hearts can say never once did we ever walk alone never once did you leave us on our own you are faithful you are faithful. You are faithful. God, you are faithful. You are, you are faithful. God, you are faithful. You to be seated.
0: I'd like to ask uh, Brian if he would to come up here and join me at the front. Um, we wanted to have kind of an open mic, but we thought, you know what?